do, I want to do a series um, on hope. So we're looking at maybe um, at least, I would say at least three messages in this series. And um, the idea that I've had kind of uh, rolling around in the back of my mind, what I keep returning to is this idea. And this is what this series is going to kind of be built upon, which is this. Group or individuals who have the most hope will have the most influence. And the people who have the most influence, their message will prevail. And so in order for us to have influence, for us in this world to have influence, we need to be people of hope. I want this church to have influence because we have a message of hope. Jesus is that message of hope. If you, are, if you call yourself a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, I have a, a vested interest in seeing to it that you are a person of influence because I want to see to it that your message of hope prevails in this world. And so we're going we're gonna to go there in this series. Um, <clears throat> so I'll be, using, I'll be using the word influence um, a lot in this, in this message and probably in this series. And I just want to say, when I say we want to have influence, I'm not talking about like the, we want to take over the world. You know, we want to take over every sector of society and control. What I'm, not, what I'm saying is I'm not saying that we want to control. What I'm saying is we want to step in and engage our society and serve and love and, and, and um, have influence, um, stay engaged, stay connected, love and serve. And so um, that's kind of where we're going with this. Um, so yeah. Um, so something happened on Tuesday that I thought was kind of cool and you might think it's totally dumb. I don't know. But did you guys hear what Elon Musk did on Tuesday? Elon Musk, uh, he's, he's the, uh, the founder of SpaceX, uh, the founder of Tesla. I think it was, was it PayPal that he, he um, or, yeah, anyway, he sold. And he's a billionaire, right? Elon Musk is a billionaire. And he's basically, I haven't decided yet, but he's either Tony Stark, like Tony Stark, you know, Iron Man, or Dr. Evil. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> he's one of those two. Um, he's either a good guy or like a, a James Bond-like villain. We're not really sure which one t- um, Elon Musk is going to turn out to be. We're praying for, we're praying good. But um, Elon Musk, um, so he has this vision of putting, putting people on Mars. Like, he's going for this. And like, in, in, a, in an age where it seems like um, we've, we've even stepped back from space exploration, there's a private company like, this has never happened for a private company that's stepping forward and, like, putting people in space and they're wanting to put people on Mars. I think it's cool. You might think it's um, kind of a, a nerdy thing. But um, uh, so I have a video real quick we're going to play, talk about um, this idea of, of space exploration. Go ahead, and, go ahead and roll that one. If it works. If not, I'll act it out with interpretive dance. <laughs> I would have, I would need volunteers though, and we would have multiple interpretive dancers. I'm just gonna let you chew on that, and I'll stop if it starts playing. So, um, but something about, something about the idea of, I don't know, like when some when someone breaks a barrier, um, this is what Elon Musk did. He they they needed to test, they needed a heavy payload to test their rockets so that they can put people on in Mars, and so. Rather than typically when they're testing a payload of a, of a rocket and its capability, they'll put a big piece of steel. You ready? Okay, go ahead and, go ahead and roll that. <clears throat> it's pretty amazing they successfully launched the world's most powerful rocket into space headed towards Mars. Uh, it really is amazing. 
He put a car in space. Uh, as I was, I was talking about, they, they needed a heavy payload, and usually when they're testing rockets, they'll put a piece of concrete or a piece of steel, and Elon Musk is like, let's shoot my car up there. <laughs> so, and um, a lot of people are like, I was watching, there's like a live feed of this. Like, you can go watch a live feed on YouTube of the car. And people are like, why? Why? You know? And... Um, I don't know, but I bet you he's selling more Teslas now because of it. So he's getting some free advertisement. Well, I guess it's not really free because space exploration is pretty expensive. <laughs> but listen, when, when, uh, when, when we went to the moon, you know, we as America went to the moon, did you know like people all around the world, they didn't say like, oh, America went to the moon. People were saying like, we did it. We went to the moon. And there's something about um, when a barrier is broken, um, the whole world feels like, wow, a barrier was broken. To me, there's something really amazing about, like this is capitalism on steroids here. Like there's something amazing about someone who owns a private company putting people into space. But there's something about people who break down barriers that gives other people permission to dream. And so um, I guess in this series, I wanna, I wanna talk about breaking down barriers and I wanna give us permission to dream. And for some different reasons that I'll get into here in a minute, I feel like the church has stopped dreaming. And we need to be people of, of dreams. And so we're going to talk about hope. Um, now listen, hopeful people, I, I mentioned this, are more influential. Why are hopeful people more influential? <clears throat> the answer, first of all, is number one, because life is not easy. I don't know if you're aware of this. Did you know life is not easy? I have discovered this personally over um, Jesus, uh, over my life. Jesus has uh, said this, um, John 16, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. This is not the most exciting promise Jesus ever gave us. In this world, you will have trouble. But the second part is great. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Okay, so hopeful people are magnetic because the world needs hope. The world needs, we need hope to wake up in the morning. We need hope to pursue goals. We need hope to have dreams. And without hope, none of that will come together. <clears throat> um, an example of this is, um, I got, you know, Pastor, hey, Pastor Howard is here, by the way. This is an amazing man of God. <clears throat> when he was like eight, how old are you now? 89. So when this guy, how old were you when you went to China, like and ministered? 
about 80 and a half. So this guy went to China and was ministering like all day for, oh, I don't know, two weeks, 10 days, something like that straight in China. So if you have an excuse, um, he'll take it away from you. Because when he was 80, 80-ish, he was in China ministering all day. Anyway, Howard's an amazing man. But let's, let's do a little thought experiment. Suppose that like everyone here, we had gone like a 24-hour period and you hadn't drank any water. You would, you would be thirsty, right? I would be thirsty. But let's suppose that none of us drank water for a 24-hour period of time, but, but Pastor Howard here, he, um, he had five gallons of water under his seat. He would become one of the most magnetic people in this room, right? You would all suddenly be drawn to him for some reason, right? We'd be thirsty. He has what we need. We need, we need water to live. And hope is an essential. Humans need hope to exist. We need hope to get up in the morning. This is what people who are suicidal and broken down and, and want to quit in life, really, they need hope. They need hope to move on. And so we as um, a church, um, we as individuals, if we carry hope, we'll actually, there's, there's a, an attractiveness about that when we have hope. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever like learned about or studied the laws of, of attraction in general, but... Um, Laws of attraction. Basically, what is attractive? I'm not talking about like symmetry and you know supermodel like attractiveness. I'm just saying attributes that are attractive of, of people. Um, what is attractive is cool, confident, in control, um, hopeful, optimistic. Those kind of people are attractive. What is unattractive is like needy, clingy, insecure, and unfortunately, if you're down and depressed, like that's not an attractive attribute. And so, actually, over the years, just counseling people in relationships, sometimes they do the last thing. They, they sense someone drifting in the relationship, and they do the last thing that they should do, which is like, I sense this person's drifting from me. So they grab on, and they're becoming needy, clean, and insecure, and actually making themselves even less attractive. But if we, if we take that same theme of attractiveness and talk about Christians and the church what we need to have is this hope, this cool confidence in control. Um, we, need, we need to have this sense that we have, we're hopeful and we're optimistic. And so, um, and by the way, this means as a church, if we have hope, I want, I want this, this City Lights Church to be known as, that we would be known as people of hope, that you would be known as a person of hope. That's going to be attractive. And we're going to have people who need hope walking through these doors all the time. We've, we've already seen it. We're going to see it more and more. People who need hope and are desperate for hope are going to be walking through these doors. And so what does, you know, City Lights Church, we've said this before, that like we want to be the lights of the city, that you are the lights of the city. And what does light look like? It, may, it looks like preaching the gospel of Jesus. It looks like love and good deeds. And it looks like having hope because hope is magnetic. And so before we really get rolling into the meat of the message here, I want to give you a biblical definition of hope. So... Um, hope, as we kind of think of it in, in our language, in our Western language, we kind of look at hope, it's like a, a desire, a wish, like, oh, I hope the weather's nice tomorrow, I hope I win the lottery, you know, very, very kind of uh, basic level of hope. The biblical way that hope is used, if you look at the Greek word um, in, the, in the Bible, it actually means this, um, a joyful anticipation or a joyful expectation of a good outcome. So it goes beyond just like, I hope, there's actually something that God deposits in us. There's a hope that we have, a hope that we carry that goes deeper, it goes deeper than just a wish or a, a desire. It, it, there's actually an expectation and a knowing that God deposits in us. And so an example of this is like kids on Christmas morning, right? 
they are like, they wake you up, for starters, they wake you up way too early. Like, I'm trying to sleep, and kids are like, presents, presents, go away. Um, kids, uh, kids on Christmas morning, they have a joyful anticipation, they have a joyful expectation of good to come, right? And so, um, because they know, and part of the foundation of that is they know the nature and the character of their parents. They've given me presents before. I know they're faithful. There's going to be more presents this year, right? So um, go ahead and put up that first. This is anticipate picture right there. This is, this is anticipation. This is a joyful, hopeful anticipation of good to come, all right? I think this is a picture, uh, a good picture of, 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 our, of our faith, except for our faith is real. Um, <laughs> and I'm not saying anything is not real. Anyway, <laughs> okay, moving on. All right, go ahead and put up the second picture. This is a great picture of a joyful expectation of good to come. This is Christianity right here. And listen, listen, these bears aren't up on the mountainside looking for fish. They came to the place, they postured, they positioned themselves to receive. They positioned themselves in a posture of joyful anticipation and expectation. And I wonder how many times we as believers we're just waiting for something to fall on our lap. We're up on the mountainside when we should be in the river with that joyful anticipation, that expectation that God has for us. This is a really good picture, I think, of what, of what Christianity looks like. Um, I'm not like the youth group that's launching on Tuesday. I'm not like wishing and hoping that it goes well. I have a joyful anticipation of a good outcome that young people's lives are going to be rocked in that group. Amen? It's going to be good. Send your kids. Um, but hope is a, it's a huge part of our Christian faith. And like I said, it goes, and it goes beyond just our, what our current circumstances are. There's a, there's a hope that goes deeper than that. In fact, we can be surrounded. We should be people that when we're surrounded by circumstances that aren't ideal, or you walk into a situation that's a crisis, that we would have that hope within us. There's something deeper there that God works in us. And so that's what the, the kind of the biblical way hope is used. So when you read that word in your Bible, don't just brush over it like, oh, hope, hope, hope. Yeah, we should have hope. Like, no, this is a deep supernatural hope that God deposits in us. And so um, I'm, my prayer is that by the end of this series, we would all be more hopeful. We would all be more optimistic. We'd all have a, that deep knowing in our hearts. So the title of today's message, by the way, the title of this series is called Hope Wars. And so there's a, there's a war in the world for hope. And um, that's what we're going to call this series. But the title of today's message is called The Hope Paradox. And I want to introduce you um, to kind of, a, uh, kind of a controversy that I have noticed um, in Christian circles, which is, which is this, how Christians view the world. There's a bit of a controversy here. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure you guys know this, but over the past 100 years or so, in spite of um, powerful moves of revival that happened in the early 1900s, the healing revivals of the 50s, the Jesus movement of 19 in the 70s. Despite those amazing moves of God, which and we're believing for more amazing revivals and moves of God, <clears throat> despite those things, Christianity, um, Christianity went all over the world because of those things. But here in America, we've actually seen a diminishing um, influence that Christians have had. Um, in the world. And I actually, I think there's a few really, there's probably many reasons for this. I want to highlight three reasons. Um, and so the first reason I kind of want to talk about is um, sometimes there, there is a, maybe an overemphasis on teaching on 
like eschatology, end times teachings, which, by the way, is good and valid. We should teach it, the study of end times events. It's in the Bible. We should be teaching it. We probably will be teaching it here. But, but what has happened is that we've taught that message, you know, that the world's going to come to an end, but we haven't left people with hope. In other words, what we've done is we said, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, so hang on and, and look up. You know, and that is not synonymous, that idea of just waiting like this is not synonymous with like being in our assignment, you know, being here with what God has called us to do. And so um, um, many times um, people haven't, I think, taught that correctly. They haven't left people with hope. And so it's more of a hold on kind of like, um, let's just get through this. Um, and, and, and there's not this sense of like that we need to shine and we need to, we need to be Jesus in the world. And so, so reason number one that I, I want to highlight is, is that sometimes vague end time speculations that are presented as facts actually can diminish our, um, our influence because they're presented um, in such a way that people don't have hope. You were created, you, me, all of us, were created in the, in the image of, of God. The Bible says in Genesis, in the image of God, he created us. So he made us to be, God is creative, he made us to be creative beings. And when there's a problem in the world, when there's a problem in our lives, he has put within us the creative solution. We are supposed to have within us the creative solution for this world. But when we think the world's going to hell in a handbasket, it doesn't matter anyway. I, this is like a... a a lot of Christians don't know how to view the world because, like, is it supposed to get bad before Jesus comes, or do I, or do I have a life I can live, or do I have? Can I have a hope? Can I help solve problems? Can I help bring solutions? And so, um, the study of, of end times events it was massive, like especially like in the 1980s. And so, I was born in 1980. And I kind of grew up through the 80s, and I was in Christian circles. I saw this like a ton, and I actually know people. I have friends that when, like, the Y2K, remember the year 2000, um, we thought, like, everything was going to, I mean, a lot of people thought the computer's going to crash. I actually know people who didn't go to college and pursue the career they wanted or get into the vocation they wanted, and they racked up a lot of debt because they're like, it doesn't matter. Like, that is not the response um, you would want to have. Um, another example is, I've, I've even heard pastors where some girl or whatever, she's talking about, like, well, I might go to college here. I'm not really sure what to do with my life. And they're like, listen, the pastor would be talking to them, Jesus is coming back. And they're like, okay, so what do I do? You don't, don't do any of that stuff. You need to just focus on Jesus coming back. Well, her going to college and pursuing her vocation is exactly what she should do because Jesus is coming back, right? And so... We've kind of, um, we have, we've taught something that's good. It's all over the Bible. I'm not, I'm not being a, I'm not saying we shouldn't teach that. We shouldn't focus on that. We should. We should teach it right, though. We should teach it with hope. Because honestly, a lot of it, every end time prediction or whatever, they all, they're fail, 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 year after year. Like, everyone is confounded by this, right? And so, I think we just need to be careful there. Um, you guys um, ever heard of Marilyn Manson? He's a 90s rock star. And he's, he's not so popular anymore. But in Marilyn Manson was actually raised, and he, he, um, he was very critical of Christianity. In fact, he was like on the edge of like blasphemous in the way that he talked about Christians and Christianity in the 1990s. He was raised in a really, um, uh, in, a Christian, in Christian circles. And, and I was reading this thing this week, talking about the way he was raised was very, very much in times focused, but not in the way that empowers people, in times focused in a way that was like fear and control. 
And so when it's taught and it brings about fear, I think the, the product becomes people who actually run away from God and we create more problems than we're helping. Um, love will always produce, will produce results that fear cannot produce. And so when we have this faith, we, we, don't, wanna, we don't wanna preach and produce fear, we wanna produce love. Romans chapter two, verse four. This is an amazing verse. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, um, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So it's really not the, the wrath and the God's going to drop the hammer on this world kind of teaching that draws people to him. It's really the message of love. It's the message of hope. It's the message of Jesus came to be with us. Jesus came to tear down the, the wall of separation uh, between us and God. That's the message of love. That's the message that it's the goodness of God. It's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. So we got to make sure that we keep preaching that message. So any teaching in the Bible, anything we do, it should lead to deeper intimacy with Jesus, not control, not manipulation. It should, it should leave us feeling um, more close and more powerful, right? So Okay, so <laughs> because of this, people in many cases have withdrawn from society and they're like, oh, the darkness is out there and I don't want to get the dark on me. I want to keep myself pure and undefiled. So I'm going to separate myself from the darkness. Listen, what we've forgotten is that light is more powerful than darkness, right? Well, come on. Light is more powerful than darkness. And you have, if you have Jesus within you, you have light within you. And I want to encourage you to shine that light. Again, I'm not knocking eschatology, end-time teachings. It's valid. It's in the Bible. I'm not going to be one of those guys. I'm just saying we need to preach it with hope and some humility, like that we don't have all the answers. So, okay, so that's number one. Number two, the second reason I think, I think Christianity has lost some of its influence over the past 100 years or so is that we have segregated the holy from the secular. What I'm doing up here, a lot of people view like, oh, this is the holy. You know, with the worship team, that's holy. The preacher, what he's doing up here is holy, but what you do in your vocation, in your job, is secular. And listen, I, wanna, I just want to encourage you, if you're called to be a doctor or a lawyer or a salesman or a stay-at-home mom, then that is holy. That thing that God has called you to do is holy, and he totally works within it. It's not just up here that's holy. And we've kind of made this separation of like, if you're serious about God, you go into like full-time ministry. You don't go after these vocations. I want to just recommission you guys that if you're a businessman, if you're a stay-at-home mom, like that's holy and that's where God is moving and his presence can saturate that. And so I'm not the only one called to, to the ministry. Actually, Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 13, it says this. And he, speaking of, of Jesus, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, uh, some pastors and teachers, okay? So there's the five-fold ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Why did he give these? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. So the saints speaks of every person who trusts and has their faith in Jesus. For the equipping of the saints. Why would he do such a thing? For the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so our, my job as a, as a pastor, as a teacher, is to equip the body, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And you're called... To ministry. I don't know if you realize this, but when you're a stay-at-home mom, when you're a doctor, when you're a businessman, like you're in, you're in your ministry, and it's not secular, otherly, it's not holy, it's holy. Like you need to view yourself as that's your ministry. When you're engaged and you're doing that, you're you're moving and you're calling. You're moving and what God has called you to, and it's not 
better or worse than what I'm doing, okay? So um, we've separated the holy from the not holy. I think we need to re- reunite those things. And, um, and uh, so I just want to commission you with that. Okay, the third reason I think um, many times uh, we've lost influence is that we've also preached a gospel that is void. The, you know, the gospel, faith, <laughs> how you get saved is faith and trusting in Jesus and, and like, that's it. There's not, it's not by works. It's not by your good deeds. But we've preached the gospel that we forgot to tell people um, the way that we make disciples in the world and the way that we advance our kingdom is by caring for the world. So we've preached a gospel that is void of caring for this world. James chapter 127 says this, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So <laughs> there's this thing, people don't care People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And listen, we, well, if we, um, caring for people affords us a lot of influence, when, affords us a lot of opportunity to speak to people and to share with people. And so we need to care for people. And so have you guys ever heard of the, have you heard of the phrase pie in the sky? Pie in the sky. It basically means like an empty promise or a wish. Do you guys know where that phrase came from? If you know where that phrase came from, just kind of... Raise your hand. Oh, y'all about to learn something. Okay, no one raise their hand. So, pie in the sky. It's, it's an empty wish. It's, it's an empty promise. It's never going to happen. And so this is where it came from. Um, the phrase um, is originally from a song, um, from a song, The Preacher and the Slave. It's ri- it was written in 1911 by a Swedish-American labor activist and songwriter named Joe Hill. He wrote it as a parody of the hymn In the Sweet By and By. Okay, so basically this guy was like a modern-day Weird Al Yankovic, right? It was a parody of The Sweet By and By. Now, The Sweet By and By is actually a beautiful, amazing, great song. But what this guy didn't like it, didn't like about what was happening, the parody that he he wrote, it actually criticizes, it was a criticism of Christian preachers who are focusing solely on people's salvation and not caring about people's material needs. It was actually a, a criticism and so the parody, it's like, you will eat by and by. So in other words, you're not going to eat now. Can't help you now. You'll eat by and by in the glorious land above the sky. Work and pray. Live on hay. <laughs> You'll get pie in the sky when you die. So that was like his, that was his criticism. And this is, a, this is, and this is a big criticism of our faith. And that, you know, we're not helping people's material needs. We're only, we're only preaching the gospel of salvation, we're preaching the doctrine, the gospel of the doctrine of salvation, but I don't know if we're fully preaching the kingdom. And the kingdom is bigger than just the, the gospel of the doctrine of salvation. There's a whole thing behind that of power. There's a whole thing behind that of helping people. There's a whole thing behind that of loving people. And so when we've done that, um, and by the way, I, I believe that the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached all over the world in power before, the end of the, before Jesus returns. And so, and, and accompanied with that will be will be um, good deeds and good merits and helping people. And so, um, and so that was definitely a slam against Christians. And so these are a few of the reasons I feel like our, our, our influence has diminished. So reason number one was um, vague end-time speculations um, presented as facts without hope. Um, reason two was um, we've segregated the holy and the secular. And number three was we've preached a gospel that is void of caring for this world. Okay, so I kind of, before, this is, again, this is kind of an introductory message. And before we um, uh, keep going here, I want to kind of do a heart assessment. And so go ahead and put up, J.D., if you would, that healthy heart 
um, slide. Can I get a witness? I have hope. I have hope that it's going to come up. All right. So um, should I talk through it or should I? All right. Talk through it. Okay. Um, it's hard to make this It's hard to make this point without the illustration. Uh, I'm just going to skip that. We'll come back to that um, in a in a later message here. Basically, this I want I want to test your guys's your level of hope for this world, your level of of the things that you think is possible in this life in this world. Um, about 30 years ago, there was a man named Lauren Cunningham. He's the founder of YWAM Youth with a Mission. And Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade. Do we have any YWAMers here? YWAMers up in here. Do we have any, gotcha, Campus Crusaders? Any, any of you? Yeah? Awesome. In the room. These guys got together about 30 years ago, and they realized that Christianity had, there was this diminishing um, influence that they had. And the Lord gave them a strategy, and this is the strategy, that they realized that there are seven spheres of society, or, or seven cultural mountains, and they realized that Christians had withdrawn mostly from most of these sectors. There may be a few that they were still in. And I'll list them here and just, um, um, yeah, we might have a slide for it. I don't know. <laughs> um, so the seven spheres are this. Religion, family, business, government, education, arts and entertainment, and media. Okay, so they are up there. So of these Christianity, we used to be fully engaged in all these, and there, there came a point where people, because they didn't want to get darkness on them, or different reasons, we, we have withdrawn from these sectors of society. Has the world gotten better because of this? No, definitely not. And so they realized this, and what they started doing, um, um, Lauren Cunningham, Cunningham and um, Bill Bright, and some others who had this, actually on their own, had had this revelation from the Lord, and then they realized they all came together. They realized this, and they said, we need people engaged in all of these sectors of society. We've religion and, or spirituality, we, we've kind of there. Yes, we're kind of still in family. But then Christians have become isolated. They're not engaging in business as much. They're kind of in government. But when it comes to like education, arts, entertainment, media, it was like there's not a lot of Christian influence in those spheres, spheres of society. And um, today, I, just want, I kind of just want to commission you um, and maybe you've thought the only way you can serve God is up here or up here or whatever. But I want to commission you. Whatever the Lord is burning in your heart, maybe, maybe he's called you to be a businessman. Maybe he's called you to go to college. Maybe he's called you to be a doctor, a lawyer, a scientist. And I just want to say that, it, that if that's what he's called you to, that's how he wants to move. That's how he wants to touch the world. And if we're going to have influence, if we're going to have hope in this world, we need to re-sign up for these things and really go after them. And so, um, this, this message here, it's not really so much, um, I haven't taught you on like how to have more hope. I've just talked about hope and kind of a pep talk to re-engage in society. And so I've talked about uh, the necessity of hope, what hope is, what it does, how I think we've lost influence, the church has lost influence in the world. I've talked about how I think we're going to get it back. But what I want to get into in this series is I really want to help you do like how do you individually walk with more hope? Because if you don't have hope for yourself, you can't overflow and have hope for others. Having hope for this world is an overflow of, of, of having this abundant hope in our own hearts, right? 
And so what I really want to go after in this series is how to have abundant hope for ourselves. And we're, we're going to hit this from a few different angles, but I'm, I'm convinced, I believe that you guys are going to have more sense of a hope, um, not, just, not just in eternity. Obviously, that is one of the big anchors of our soul, right? That we know that we have eternity. The sweet by and by is there, amen? But I believe that that supernatural hope, when we have that within us, it overflows here, here and now. It overflows that we would change and transform the world around us, Amen. All right, so uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're, we're going to close with the song. Does that sound good? All right. Father, I just thank you for every individual in this room. God, I just, um, God, I just recommission, Lord God, those who, for different reasons, have withdrawn or stepped away, God, from um, their area of influence, Lord Jesus. And God, whatever the reasons were, Lord Jesus, I just speak to every heart here. I just say, if you are a Christ follower, you are a world changer, I just say that, yeah, God wants to flow through you. God wants to use you. And so, God, we, we, just look, um, we just look to you, Jesus, God, the author and the finisher of our faith. We look to you, God, the one who has eternal hope, and we ask you, God, to produce within us 